want to talk to you this morning about the fatherhood of God. Now, I know that last Sunday was Father's Day, and so this is not just a message for the fathers, it's for everybody. And uh, I want to tell you that God demonstrates his fatherhood to us in the things that he does. So I'm going to touch on three things today as we look at the fatherhood of God, that God, he does certain things, okay? And the first thing that God does is he defends us, and then God disciplines us, uh, and sometimes we don't like that. And then we need to understand that God is utterly and totally devoted to us. So let me start with this little story. There was a father who had five children. He won a toy in a raffle. So he gathered his five children to see who should get the toy. And uh, they came together and he asked them some questions. And the first one he said to them was this, who is the most obedient? He asked. Who never talks back to mother? And who does everything that she says? So in unison, the five kids shouted, okay, dad, you can keep the toy. Now, there's a truth to that story, which we'll unfold as we go along. See, for all of us, we need to understand that the fatherhood of God needs to be redeemed because we have a wrong understanding of fatherhood. And it's an area of our lives that needs to be redeemed. Like many other things in our lives, we are culturally formed and shaped. And we don't even realize that many of the things in our lives are contrary to uh, the way we operate or contrary to what the scripture instructs for us. And so we want to talk about the fatherhood of God. And like in every area, that fatherhood needs to be redeemed. Now, God's identity as a father, as our father, is important because that's how God chose to characterize his role towards us, okay, his relationship to us. So it's not just a description that some theologians or some pastors came up with. We need to understand that the Bible never refers to him uh, as anything other than the father. You know, and sometimes we look at a favorite uncle who is benevolent and kind and all the rest of the stuff. Or you've probably heard this description also. Somebody up there favors me, you know. Somebody up there is looking after me. Or the big guy in the sky. You know, uh, and sometimes we just don't realize the impact of those words in our understanding. And so we need to understand that uh, the Bible never refers to God like that. So it doesn't say, my uncle, the big guy up there, someone up there, hallowed be your name. No, the Bible starts with these words, and it's very important for us to understand that. It begins with these words, okay? Our Father. Hallowed be your name, okay? Our Father. See, so out of all of the human relationships that God could have used as a metaphor to express his role or his relationship to us, he chose father, not mother, not brother, not sister, not uncle, not parent, father. And you need to realize that we're living in a world where culture is trying to shape our understanding as far as our relationship with God is concerned. And in many areas... Uh, the word father is now being rela- uh, uh, replaced by the word parent or even mother, our mother in heaven, all right? I'm speaking about theologians. I'm speaking, uh, you might not even be aware of it because in this situation, you're very protected. We try to be as Bible-based as possible. But that's happening out there in the world today. And just now, you're going to have contention because people don't understand the fatherhood of God, all right? And so he chose God purposefully designed human fatherhood to be an illustration of his relationship to us. You see, 
The reason God created something called fathers so that you and I could better understand his relationship to us. Now, uh, bear with me for a moment. In the beginning, God created that thing called family. And in the family, he created fathers, the role of the father. And he did that specifically so that the role of the father would be a revelation of how he relates to us. And so I want you to understand it's not arbitrary. It's not unimportant. It's highly intentional. God intentionally chose to reveal himself as father. And so it's got great significance. See, we live in a society, we call it a contemporary society. And I want to tell you, society in this contemporary society assaults the biblical um, view of family and it's destructive. It's destructive, okay? Not just because it harms the people involved, who usually find that alternative forms of family structure doesn't work, but also because it obscures this very role that God chose to use to reveal how we are to relate to him and what father, human fatherhood was intended to reveal. So it makes it very much more difficult for us to understand who God is. Now, there are many instances, if you go to the scriptures, where you find the word father. In the Old Testament, you'll find the prophets often referred to God as father. In the New Testament, Jesus repeatedly refers to God as his father and our father. Over 250 times in the New Testament, it refers to God as father. So therefore, it makes it very significant because that's how God chose to identify himself. And so it's important because it affects how we relate to him. I want to look at two scriptures, and then we're going to just unpack a couple of things. So let's have a look at the first one in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through to 27. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Next. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Let's go across to John. John 20, verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So throughout Jesus' earthly life, he continually referred to God as Father. Even after he was raised from the dead, having been at the cross and paid the penalty for sin, even in that glorified body, he said, don't touch me. And there's a reason, but we're not talking about that today. Uh, he said, because I haven't yet ascended, but I'm going to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And so it's important for us to understand that, okay? Because so often we, we get zeroed in on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus, 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 okay? And we don't realize that we serve a triune God. 
Many of us don't even understand the Trinity, haven't even delved in the Trinity to understand that we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of them are God. And you cannot separate God because God is one. I, the Lord, your God, am one, the Scripture declares. And so we need to understand if God has chosen to reveal himself as Father, ultimately, then we need to understand the importance of that. Now, it's also true that we have difficulty relating God as Father because of the exposure that we've had to our human fathers and the role that we were subjected to as they portrayed Father. And so maybe, maybe you grew up with fathers who came short of the ideal of what God intended. Maybe your father was cold. Maybe your father was distant. Maybe your father was disengaged. Maybe you had a father who was angry or critical, or very controlling, all right? Or maybe you had a father who was an alcoholic. I experienced that and the impact of that on the formation of my life until my father met Jesus and it was a radical transformation and he tried to do his best after that. Let me tell you, friends, even the best of fathers with the best intentions often miss the mark. And those of us that are fathers know that all too well. Despite our best efforts, we often fail to be what God would have us be. And we act selfishly and sinfully. And we fail to love our children as we should. And it grieves me to admit that this morning. I've also failed my children. But we do the best that we can. But you need to realize also this morning that whatever your frame of reference is as a father to God this morning, whatever, just let me tell you today that your father is also just a struggling sinner. Even the best of us are struggling sinners and uh, we know that the picture that we represent of what God should be like or God's father who should be in our lives, the picture that we are painting often comes very short. So I want every man and every young man in this congregation and every wife and every mother and every child to be aware of what I'm sharing with you today because God reveals that pattern of fatherhood with the things that he does. So it doesn't matter what your father did or did not do or whether your father was good or bad. I don't want you to be captured in that mindset. I trust that the seeds that I'm sowing will be fruitful as the Holy Spirit breaks whatever hold is holding you back from enjoying a relationship with God this morning. I pray that that will change after this meeting. You know, we're living in a society and uh, our society has largely abandoned uh, God's pattern for family relationships. The biblical view of the male leadership in the home is not only rejected, but it's mocked and ridiculed. Every time you put on that television, the role of the father is brought down, made to look foolish, you see. And often uh, we can see the results around us and we don't even realize how much that shapes our understanding of fatherhood. You see, if the view of God's fatherhood that we've received from our earthly fathers has fallen short, and if society can't portray, because I want to tell you, society needs good fathers. Society at large needs good leaders who are good fathers. You cannot be a good leader if you cannot be a good father, really, if you are a father. 
And so if we can't get that view from society and if we can't get that view from what we were parented with, where do we go? Where do we get the right view from the scripture? Because the Bible is the only true and reliable source where we can come to an understanding of God the Father as he reveals himself to us and the intention that he had from the beginning when he created the role of a father. So I want to look at three things very briefly with you this morning. Firstly, God defends us. Let me ask you this question. Can you imagine any father standing back when his son and daughter are being attacked or getting into trouble? No. Yet sometimes when we're in difficulties, we cry out, God, where are you? Let me tell you, God will never, ever abandon us. God is always there. When we're being attacked, when we're getting into difficulties, God doesn't just stand by and say, oh, get on with it. I want to tell you that God is always there for us. He's always on our side. And some Christians seem to be embarrassed by the God of the Old Testament when we read all the stories of how God uh, took his people against the enemies. And it might not be politically correct in some circles to talk of God as a warrior because we just want to have God, this God of love, this God of love, this God of love, and there's nothing wrong because God is love. But God is also a warrior. And let me share some scriptures with you quickly this morning. In Exodus 15 verse 3, it says this, the Lord is a warrior. And unfortunately, we, we do not understand the pictorial language of the Bible because we can't always put ourselves into the context of the Bible. And so we don't understand a warrior in that sense. It says, the Lord is a warrior. His name is Yahweh. And again in Jeremiah 20, and I love this verse, he says here, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Burn that scripture into your heart. Take it as a tool when you have to fight the enemy. But you see, God here is committed to defending and protecting his people. And that involves a readiness to do battle. And God will never abandon us. Maybe your earthly father did. But God will never abandon. Never. God will never withdraw from a battle. Maybe when you went to your father talking about your problems, your father withdrew and didn't get involved. God will never do that. God will stand and fight. And he will be victorious. That's what the scripture tells us. That's why I said, listen, I want to tell you that's it. And sometimes we don't realize that God is there as a defender and protector. And we don't invite God into our circumstances when we are fighting a battle, when we're in difficult circumstances. I want to encourage you. Get on your knees and pray. Ask God to come into that situation. Ask God to be that warrior. Ask God to be that defender. And then stand back and see what God will do. Because the battle is the Lord's, not yours, not mine. And so often when we ask God to come in, we decide to take matters into our own hands and then we get frustrated when it doesn't work out because we're still trying to operate and relate to God in the same way that we did with our earthly father. But sadly, many Christians today don't even understand that they're in a battle. They don't see the need to look up to God as their defender and protector because they don't realize that they're under attack. But listen to what the scripture says as Paul pens these words for us in Ephesians 6 verse 12. 
He says, for we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, against wicked spirits in heavenly places. And I'm not talking about ghosts, and I'm not talking about goblins, and I'm not talking about Sangormas this morning. I'm talking about spiritual beings which are engaged in warfare against God's people and God's ways and God's principles and doing everything that they can to oppose what God has instituted. Now, I want to tell you, sometimes we get into situations and we don't realize actually what's happening because we don't know the spirit of what's going on behind in that issue. And we don't realize that we're actually involved in a spiritual warfare let me use this illustration because husbands and wives, I want to encourage you, go along to that retreat because so often in a husband and wife situation, suddenly one person's temper goes or the heat rises and angry words get spoken and angry words in return and then it's bitterness and resentment and walls built, and built up and we don't realize what's actually happening in that situation is shut up. Keep quiet. Let God be the vindicator in that situation. But the devil's there to wreak havoc to bring divorce. And that's what he does, and that's what I'm saying to you. We don't even realize that we engage in spiritual warfare, okay? And so they will always provoke destructive conflicts in churches. That's why churches split. And let me tell you, they'll always tempt us as Christians, as believers, of those who said we've got our faith in God, to destroy our faith, okay, to undermine our faith, especially when it comes to the giving and being generous. Oh, this tithing thing doesn't work. What's the spirit behind it? Selfishness. Greed, and we justify it with all kinds of excuses instead of saying, devil, you're not going to rob me of being the generous person that God wants me to be because God so loved the world that he gave, and I love and I'm giving. Yes. Let's look here quickly at Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. It says this, so put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth. Why? Because we belong to each other. And don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. So my question is, why does anger give a foothold to the devil? Because he'll use any tool at his disposal to attack the church, to attack your relationship, to attack your situation. And you see, when anger goes unresolved, it turns to bitterness and resentment, and then eventually it spreads throughout the whole body, and soon the church then is, the unity is gone, the peace is gone, the fellowship is gone, and the church is destroyed. You see, and some people scoff at this whole idea of spiritual beings. Some people, you know, after all, we're living in the age of enlightenment, you know. We are educated people. We're very intelligent people. I want to say something. We're so intelligent that we're too intelligent for our own good. And we're always trying to change things to suit ourselves instead of letting God's word change us, okay? And so, you know, we don't believe in these fables of ghosts and goblins and all these sort of things, okay? And skeptics assume simply because they can't see something, it doesn't exist. But let me tell you, the Bible says they're in that unseen world. And you're not going to see it until the light bulb goes on inside. And the only way the light bulb will go on is when you invite Jesus into your heart because then he will help you to see things for what they really are. But those demons are real, even though we can't see them. 
And I've already shared with you how you need to recognize the spirit or the demons or the, or the spiritual powers that we are fighting against, okay? And the good news is this, you don't have to be scared. There's some people when you start talking about demons, ooh, don't talk to me about those, ooh. We don't have to live in fear. Because all that God asks us to do is to live boldly for Christ. Hey, man, I don't care what the enemy is trying to do. I want to tell you, Jesus is my defender. Jesus is my protector. Jesus is my covering. Thank God for the blood. And I'm going to boldly speak about Jesus. You know, so often when we come to the workplace, they say, you're not allowed to talk about religion in this organization. Have you ever discerned the spirit behind it? Why are they stopping you from sharing your faith? I'm not talking about trying to share your faith and wasting their time. But when God gives opportunities, be bold in sharing why you believe in Jesus. Be bold in why you've got faith and confidence to go through tribulation and trials the way that you do with joy. Okay? So my question here is this. Are you feeling defeated this morning? Perhaps the problem is that you're at war and you just don't know it. Can I encourage you to go to God in prayer? Just invite God to come in. And then when you do, stand back and just see what God will do in that whole situation, okay? Because the battle is the Lord's and not yours. And so let God do what God needs to do in your circumstances. And all that you do is keep speaking the word of faith. Keep speaking the word of faith. Keep standing on the promises. Keep speaking the promises, okay? And then secondly, God disciplines us. Oh, uh, Lock the doors before the people leave the building. <laughs> Sometimes it's in the form of constructive discipline in which God takes us through difficult circumstances and he does that to strengthen and build our faith. And discipline like this is meant to prepare us for the future. Remember, we, with our finite minds, try to prepare for the future, but we don't know all the contingencies that will take place in the future. But there's one who knows the end from the beginning, and that's God. Okay, and so sometimes we don't understand when God's taking us through difficulties, but he's actually preparing us for the opportunities and uh, also for the challenges that lie ahead. Remember how God wrestled with Jacob? Wrestled with Jacob, and the reason why God wrestled with Jacob was to transform Jacob. He wanted Jacob to change because you know that Jacob was a liar and a schemer and all the rest of stuff, and then God wrestled with him and there was transformation in his life and his attitudes and everything changed. And sometimes God does exactly the same thing with us. He wrestles with us because he wants to change us. He wants to transform us because you see, God saves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And he's going to change us into who he wants us to be. Amen. But we've got to be willing to be part of that transformation process. Hebrews 12, 7-11 says this, okay. Oh, hang on, before I go there. Corrective discipline, on the other hand, is meant to alter our attitudes or change our behavior. All right? And our attitudes do need to change. Our behavior needs to change. Because again, let me quickly say, sometimes our attitude and our behavior has become preconditioned. It's a stronghold in our mind because of the way that our earthly father parented us. All right? And so sometimes we just got to go through these things because God allows us to experience the painful consequences of our sinful choices. Remember when you were a teenager? 
And your parents said to you, you're not playing with that person or you're not going there or I'm going to phone to find out who's there, what videos are going to be shown. Oh, look, I'm outdated now when I'm talking about videos. Okay. And your, what was your attitude? Hmm. Hmm. And you don't realize that the hmm, hmm created a stumbling block for you because now you've got a stronghold when it comes because that's how you think of Father. He was difficult. He was, he was just spiteful and all the rest. And sometimes we have that same attitude with God. Okay? And so God allows us then to go through painful consequences to teach us what is right and what is wrong. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. Quickly, as you, divine this, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child that was never disciplined? Parents, take note. The Bible says, whoever heard of a child that's not disciplined, you better discipline your child if you want to be in favor with God, Okay? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you're illegitimate and that you're not really his child after all. And then it says, since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we not more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly father and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always right and good for us because it means we will share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable at that time, okay? It's painful. But afterwards, there will be the quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. See, so God's discipline proves that we are his children. So don't cry when you're going through difficulties. Just realize that God is... Busy working in that situation, okay? But how do we make this thing practical? Firstly, by allowing God's discipline to change our attitude. See, if we're going under some hardship or suffering, we know it's not random. We know it's not meaningless. We know that God's got a purpose in it. And we also know that God is not punishing us. You see, because when, when we were, see, I'm... What was that word that they used to use? I'm gating you. I'm, I'm, I'm blocking you. I'm blocking your account. You're not going to be on the TV. You're not going to be on this. I'm going to have your cell phone. You know, let's put it in a modern context, okay? <laughs> All right. See, because again, you know, when I talk about gated, you kind of look. <laughs> but let's just realize that God's not punishing us. Because now my earthly father punished me and I think, oh, God's punishing me because now suddenly some things aren't happening. No, God will never punish us, okay? Because all the punishment was taken care of at the cross. All of our punishment was taken care of at the cross when Jesus died there for all of our sin. Amen? So God is not out to punish us. God loves us and it's not his will that any should perish. He wants to bring us to full redemption. But to bring us to redemption, he's got to work with us and there's attitudes and behavior patterns that need to change. Okay, so let's just make this practical, okay? So think of it this way. God is at work in our lives because he loves us and cares for us. He's forming our character, purging our hearts from sin and drawing us closer to himself. So instead of grumbling and complaining and murmuring against God, oh God, why do I have to go through this again? Oh God, why is this happening? Instead of all of that, let's rather humble ourselves 
and submit to him, knowing that God's got a purpose in what he's doing in our lives. Just like our earthly fathers had a purpose and we didn't quite understand it, all right? And then secondly, we should discipline as an opportunity for self-assessment um, and for reflection. Because sometimes we are in difficulties as a result of the consequences of bad decisions that we've made. And so sometimes we need to ask ourselves the question, is, this, is there sin in my life that I need to repent of? Is that why this is happening? Or is this suffering even partially to blame as a result of my own disobedience? Okay? Because if we're honest, oftentimes we got into trouble with our earthly father because we were disobedient. Okay. Didn't we? See, could it be my pride? Could it be my stubbornness? Could it be my selfishness? Or is there some negative attitude or some impure habit? Is there some idol in my heart that I need to repent of and confess? So let that discipline then accomplish its purpose. And in the heat of your trial, in the heat of your trial, let that heat reveal what is in your heart so that you have to confess to God if there is something. And if there's no confession, if there's no sin, fine. Then use that exercise as an opportunity to develop patience. See, because we are impatient. We live in an instant society. We want instant marriage, instant divorce, instant this, instant that, and instant the other. All right. And we need to learn to be patient because sometimes in that marriage, we must just be patient with one another. And we will probably end up not getting divorced if we exercise patience and we aren't so selfish. Let me just use that as an illustration, okay. See, a father who truly loves his children doesn't let them do whatever they want. He doesn't allow bad behaviors or bad attitudes to go unchallenged, and neither will God. He doesn't allow children to run the home. You see, we're not in charge. God is in charge. So instead, he faithfully and consistently guides his children through the use of discipline, and that's what God does with us. Even when we don't understand or agree with what he's doing. I mean, my children never came to me and said, Hey, Dad. I agree, I need to be disciplined. Thank you. No. But let me tell you, a good father does it anyway because he knows that failure to discipline the child will result in the child becoming a selfish, wicked, and unhappy adult. And so often, because we didn't submit to discipline, many of us as adults are that. Always unhappy, always scheming, always getting up to stuff. You see, he loves his children too much to let that happen, so he trusts that in time they'll understand and be grateful for what he was trying to do. And in the same way, God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. He loves us too much to, uh, to let us wallow in our sin. And so God brings people and circumstances into our lives that slowly and sometimes painfully, over time, will mold us into the character, transform us into the character of the Lord Jesus Christ even though it pains God to cause us pain. God doesn't take delight in seeing us in pain, but he allows it because he knows he loves us. And so if you are suffering this morning or if you're experiencing a trial, be thankful. The Bible says count it all joy when you fall into these things. Be thankful. It shows that your heavenly Father loves you. So submit to that hand of correction 
and let him do his work. And in due time, you'll look back and you'll say, Lord, thank you so much. Okay? I can look back and I can say about my father, thank you so much that you warned me about this or warned me about that. If I had not listened to his counsel in those days, I perhaps would never have ended up in the ministry. So I can look back and I can say thank you. And it's the same thing with God. I can look at situations in my own life where I can look back and say, okay, God, thank you that what I asked for, you didn't give at that time. Because had you done that, that would have destroyed me. Okay? My pride or whatever. And so then just lastly, let's quickly talk about God being devoted to us. I've got a quick minute or two. I know we're running a little bit over time, but it doesn't matter. God's fatherhood is seen as his absolute devotion to us. See, once we enter into the family of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know that nothing that you can do will ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing that anybody else can do will ever separate you from God. We belong to God forever. We know we will never be rejected, never be abandoned, and never cast out. Maybe that's what you experienced in your earthly walk with your father, but with God, it'll never happen. God loves us with an everlasting love, and nothing we can do or anyone else can do will separate us and change that. Quickly, John 10, 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And I want you to underline, if you don't mind, when you get home in your Bible or underscore on your app or whatever you have. It says this. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and look there, it says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I'm kept in the hand of God. And he says, my father who has given them to me, he says, is greater than all. Greater than all. God is the ruler of this universe. And he says that no one will snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he says, I and my father am one. Isn't that fantastic? You see, Peter the Apostle found this to be true. He denied the Lord three times on the night of his arrest. He even denied that he knew Jesus Christ. He abandoned Jesus in Jesus' hour of greatest need. And I want to tell you, he was forgiven and he was restored. Hallelujah. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you were rejected and now you've been back and included in a relationship or whatever it might be. But perhaps you know what it's also like to be rejected or to have a relation severed, or to be cast aside by someone you love. And you know how painful that can be, but that will never happen with God, never, because he's our father, and we are his children now and forever. What a glorious truth. And so my appeal to you as I close this morning is this, to seek the satisfaction of your deepest needs in a relationship with God as your father. Things that you want and need most deep down. And deep down we all want joy. We all want peace. And we all want to have hope and strength and the fulfillment that our lives have meaning. And that our lives are fulfilled. And all those things are available to you in Jesus Christ by faith in Jesus. And then I want to close with these words. You see, because so often in our modern society, we are trying to change the word of God to suit us, our attitudes, our behavior patterns. And I want to encourage you, don't ever try to take the word of God and bend it or twist it to suit your attitude or your circumstances or your frame of reference. Rather bring your attitude and your frame of reference and your circumstances to the word of God and let your heavenly Father give you revelation and insight 
and let your father heal you, restore you, and free you so that you can have this relationship. And I pray as I close that every every stronghold in your mind, every stronghold that's bound you, even as you sit in this meeting as an adult of 60 years or whatever, that has affected your relationship with God because of the pattern and the picture of your earthly father, be shattered and broken in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free so that you can become everything that God intended you and that you can have a rewarding, fulfilling relationship with God as your father. Amen.